0: Hi, I'm Emily Trotter, and you're listening to Bible Talk on the Nothing But Fine Network. When I was a little girl, my grandfather, who was a gospel singer, always said he was nothing but fine when someone asked him how he was. My hope is that within our studies of God's Word, you will be reminded that through hard seasons and unforeseen circumstances, we can find contentment because God is in control and life is nothing but fine. Hello. (coughs) Should have waited a minute and cleared my throat. <laughs> Hi, glad you're with me. Glad you're back. Welcome to Bible Talk. This is Emily Trotter. I'm so glad you're here. Um, let me ask you a question. Um, what's your unbelief stopping the Lord from doing? Just think about that for a minute. Okay, we're going to two. There's two quick parables in um, Matthew 13 that there is some debate about. Um, and I don't know that there's really debate because most, um, there are a lot of, uh, scholars, um, who believe that, that it's referring to, cause these, well, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Let me get, cause they're sh- super short. They're like two sentences, um, a parable in a sentence. Isn't that fun? So it, so in uh, Matthew thirteen forty four it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45 says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so these two little verses, this, this two little pieces here in 13, there's there's some conflict, and most that I most of the commentaries and the notes that I read um, were of the of the belief that this is referring to people like me and you searching for treasure, and that once we find that treasure, which is the kingdom of God or or Jesus and our salvation, that we'll do whatever we can to get it. That we would sell everything that we have, okay. Um, and then I read two. There were just two in my in my little repertoire that I usually check. Um, one was Warren Wiersbe, who I really really admire um, and really like a lot of the things that he says in his commentaries. Um, and the Passion Translation, which immediately goes, well, but um, that Warren Wearsby, agree, they had the same view, kind of made me go, okay, well, then it's okay for me to feel this way. Because I feel like this goes better with, with, what, it, with what it's saying. Because we just, uh, right before Jesus is talking about the tares and the wheat, and then right after, he's going to talk about, it, he talks about a dragnet, which is a net that's weighted on the ends that fishermen will throw over and just pull up everything. OK, so there's no I, and it, literally when I say everything, it's everything. And so when you pull it up into the boat, you have to sort through what's in there. Right. You can't pick and choose as it, the net is in the water. And as you're pulling it up, you just have to take what, everything that you get. Right. So in between these two pieces is are these two things. And so Wiersbe and Passion Translation, they both say that this is jesus is looking for the hidden treasure and wearsby says that you know that's the the israel itself is the hidden treasure because he he pulled it out of exile and he took it into the promised land and then you know things went awry and so now it's become hidden because they they aren't living the way that that they were supposed to live that they had promised that they had gone into covenant with god um into this the way of life that they were going to the way they were going to do things, right? So, and when he finds it, when Jesus comes and finds it and is able to ransom that, he's paying everything. He put it all on the line, literally, because he died, for them. Correct. For all of us. And the same can be said for the pearl that when the merchant finds the pearl, he sells everything he has to be able to purchase it. And I kind of feel like this, this, that goes more along with what we're saying here. But that's just me and Warren Weersby and the Passion Translation. And I can't remember his name that did it. So that's just the three of us that I found. <laughs> Everyone else disagrees. Although the net translation, the New English, they stayed mute on it, so they didn't uh, give an opinion. But I think that it it fits that way because it says and again and again. And so when it gets to the dragnet, it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. So he's it, it's saying again, again. And I know that it it may not have been, it may not have happened this way. That the way that Matthew wrote it, in the way that the powers that be put it all together and made it into our bible as we know it today. I don't know what the original text looked like um and I'm not a translator. So I am relying on other people, but I feel like it goes it goes into that. So you you have this kingdom that's being searched for and Jesus has been teaching this. Well, at the end of chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus is back in his hometown of Nazareth. Okay? That's where he was that's where he grew up that's where you know his dad Joseph his earthly father Joseph what his stepdad if you will was a carpenter and he worked alongside him you know we don't have that picture of we know that when he was 12 they had gone to Jerusalem for um a feast i think it was i don't remember i'm not going to say what it was but i know that they were in Jerusalem for a feast and jesus went into the temple into the synagogue and started teaching and after that we don't know what there is no life recorded between that age of 12 and in 30 when he was 30 and he began his public ministry so we assume scholars assume that he grew up in a way that any normal teenage jewish boy would that he learned his father's trade and so that he was helping out and and doing those things so when he gets to nazareth and he starts he goes into the synagogue and he starts or or to the wherever yeah the synagogue and he goes in there and he starts teaching and i read this note too about these synagogues in the towns um if there had to be when the churches when when they were spreading out they had to be there if there was a group of 10 men they could establish their own little synagogue. And what that meant was, and so when they went to the synagogue, it would be whatever men, just the men, would sit around and discuss the scriptures. So that's what he's going into. And so he's going into, as a man in the town that he grew up with, and he goes in and he starts to speak. And they immediately are like... (laughs) Who? (laughs) What? This is Jesus. I mean, this is Joseph's kid. This is the carpenter's son. This is Mary. And when they say Mary, this is Mary's son. In Jewish, this is a fascinating, the way that all this fits together, it's derogatory because in a Jewish culture, you never refer to someone as the mother's son unless you were intending it as an insult. So they say it's Mary's son. How does he think he knows all this stuff? I... Where is this knowledge coming from? He hasn't been studying it somewhere. What do you mean he's? He... <sighs> so they didn't give him much credit, and they didn't listen to him at all. And Wearsby said this. Warren Wearsby said this. They were too familiar with him in a human way. They knew him according to the flesh and i thought that was really a great way to look at it because if you were so familiar with someone in the way that they grew up and everything and i think that we ha- we do this too uh, I- and i do um like people that you went to high school with or people that you went to elementary school with and, and you had formed your opinion of them and then years and years and years pass, and when you see them again, like at that high school reunion that you're going to have to go to, when you see them again, you already go, oh, well, hmm. not, ooh. <laughs> what they got going on now? Oh, well, you know. See, you're clouded by what you already knew of them and that is exactly what has happened here in Nazareth. The people were not interested in listening to what Jesus had to say because they were too familiar with him as the 12-year-old boy or the 13-year-old boy or the 5-year-old or the one Mary chased around or the one, you know, they they saw him as such. And who's to say there wasn't a little bit of it like, isn't this the kid that she... You know, she she was pregnant before they got married. Who's to say there wasn't a little bit of that going around as well? Now, that is just all me. (laughs) That's all me drawing some conclusions. (laughs) Jumping to conclusions probably is more accurate. So we have all of these people, and they are not here for what Jesus is saying. And they may have heard what was going on. I mean, word may have traveled, but when they, by the time he comes, comes back home, he's like, what? And Jesus says, there is, um, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. He's saying, this is typical. This is how it is again, because his own town, his own household knows him when remembers When? right and the thing i think the last verse of this passage the last verse of chapter 13 is is verse 58 says he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief but we can't look at that as jesus power lacking that it somehow translate into him not having the power to do anything there because that's not what this is about. Their unbelief prevented miracles from being done there because they didn't ask. There weren't the crowds that were coming to him saying, I'm sick. I'm broken. I'm, you know think of all the stories that we've we've already you know heard about you know the 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 little girl the centurion's daughter the um scribe's servant the woman that that bled for 12 years look at these healings i mean the lepers the blind look at the things that that, have, that has already happened in matthew and that just not happening here because they couldn't bring themselves to ask because they just thought it was pointless because who was this? This was this was Jesus. This was Mary's son. Hmm. What's he going to do? So don't think that God and Jesus, that their power is ever limited. You know, in the movie uh, Elf, Um, If you've not seen this movie, first of all, you should. It's hilarious. Um, At the end, Santa's sleigh has crashed into central park because, and he cannot get it back off the ground because there isn't enough belief in him to make the sleigh fly. And so he's kind of powerless. Like he knows who he is and he knows what his job is and he knows what he's got to get done. I mean, it's Christmas Eve and he's got to get this sleigh up in the air, but He's powerless to control it, so he just has to sit there and wait. That is not how God works. God isn't relying on us to give him power. uh, (laughs) He's not relying on us. He includes us in his power. He invites us in to be a part of it if we allow it. Because he can move and do without any thought from us. So it just made me think about, and here's the question that I asked at the beginning. What, what is your unbelief stopping? Stopping. And unbelief can look like, I mean, it can look like a lot of different things. It can look like, oh, I don't want to bother Jesus. Uh, I mean, I mean, isn't isn't them saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't that like saying, well, isn't that just God? I mean, it's God, but he doesn't, he can't be bothered with this. He's got too much going on for me to bother him with this small day to day. Task or the, uh, this day to day concern, this day to day prayer request. I, I'm not going to bother God with this because it's just, I mean, it's beneath Him. Or in the opposite, this is too big of an ask. It's never going to work. He's never going to grant this. So I'm not going to ask because I just, I don't believe that He will. What are the things that you, maybe in your heart of hearts, you know that, that God can do anything, yet you pray in a way that says, but you're not, you won't. I believe that you can, but you're not going to. And eventually, when you, when you think that way, you just quit asking. And then how does that affect your faith? How does that bring you closer, deeper into a relationship with the Lord? In Mark, it says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And I have found that to be such an encouraging verse to look at because there are lots of things that I just don't get about <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you. <laughs> there are lots of things that I'm like, Lord, I believe you. I know that you do all these. I know you can. I know you will. I know you could. If I know how you are. But just help me in this whether it be a biblical truth whether it be scripture whether it be anything whether it be that idea that i know you can but you're probably not going to that's a little bit of unbelief sne- sneaking in so saying lord i believe help me in my unbelief help me in my oh this this hole that i've gotten into that is that is making me doubt your power What are you limiting God with in your unbelief? Are you too familiar with him in the flesh? Are you too familiar with maybe a God that's too far off and not familiar enough with a God that's closer than a brother? Just remember, he wants you to draw near. He wants you to ask. He may say no, but he wants you to ask. Because Jesus loves you.